Previously on At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz. Louie, what's your favorite horror movie from the 80s? I wouldn't know. I don't go to horror movies. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> never? I'm being I'm being serious. I, that genre of film never, never interests me. So I unfortunately can't provide an answer. Oh, this is going to be a dry month for Lou. <laughs> Most are. At the Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz begins now. Hey, welcome to the podcast that once again keeps you informed on the ever-changing world of entertainment. My name is Lou Katz, and please welcome, without any debate whatsoever on either side, from Vulture and WTOP Radio, it's Jen Chaney. Jen Hello. Hello. <laughs> and along with Jen, a longtime entertainment critic and a recent caddy to Dustin Johnson, we bring. <laughs> Oops, stay away. We bring him on. Arch Campbell, you love him. Arch. <laughs> That's the intro right there. <laughs> Thank you, Lou Katz. And hello, Jen Cheney. And here we are again for our weekly podcast where we always start with the question to Jen Cheney what's new this week once again many things uh for starters the Aaron Sorkin film trial of the Chicago seven yeah, which had yeah. been released in some theaters is on Netflix this week so That's everybody can news. see it yes it, it's looking forward you know, to that yeah it's, it's a, a very good courtroom drama with some moments of humor in it obviously tells the story of the Chicago seven very a little relevant. bit of dialogue I imagine <laughs> <laughs> Just a tiny bit. And, you know, it's very relevant considering, you know, what's been going on with the police and protesters over the summer. So I think a lot of people are probably going to want to check that out. Since we're talking about Aaron Sorkin, uh, there's also a West Wing reunion special that's happening on HBO Max this oh, week where they're getting yeah. the cast back together to do a theatrical reading of an episode from season three. Mm. Uh, and I know a lot of people still have very soft spots for the West Wing. So they'll be right. really excited about that. Got a couple new shows on Netflix that are debuting on Friday. One is Grand Army. It's a high school-based show set in Brooklyn. Um, pretty raw and ragged. Um, reminded me a little bit of Euphoria on HBO, but not quite as pretty, not quite as um, uh, fantastical in its direction. Uh, and then another show called Social Distance, which is one of these many shows that are, are really focusing on the COVID pandemic and was shot in quarantine and is about people dealing with being in quarantine on uh, each episode tells a different story. And then one last thing to, to uh, mention is that on Saturday night on HBO, David Byrne's American Utopia is going to air for the first time. And that's a, a special that basically captures the, the Broadway show that David Byrne was doing. Uh, it was directed by Spike Lee and is really wonderfully directed by Spike Lee, actually. What's the subject? Um, it's basically, you know, David Byrne put out an album called American Utopia mm. a couple years ago. And um, so it's songs from that. It's... Um, songs from his years with the talking heads but there's you know there's common threads through it there's some political stuff he does um he he's joined by like two dancers and musicians who are all mobile like the drummers and the keyboardists they all have their their instruments um strapped to them so they can move around the stage oh yeah it's it's really cool and um he does a, a version of how you talking about which is a janelle monet song mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. that you know there's like a call and response say their names all these victims of police brutality people who've been killed 
world. And Spike Lee puts a little addendum on that since unfortunately oh. we have more names to add to that since the show was performed. Oh. It's really yeah. very moving. Um, but anyway, the whole the whole special is great. You know, it's it's hard to capture um, the live theater experience in, in its all its glory. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I think he does a really good job of, of, of doing that and also doing what you can't do even when you are a ticket holder, which is see the show from all these different angles. You know, Does from, it come as close as Hamilton? It does. It gets right up, you know, on stage basically next to David Byrne, but you also see it from, you know, the front row, elsewhere in the orchestra, the balconies, yeah. backstage, uh, really some some uh, shots from above that, that give you a sense of what the choreography is doing. Okay, well, sounds, 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 sounds really, really good. good. Jen, yeah. uh, we love inviting our friends onto this podcast, and this week it is particularly great fun to welcome uh, a longtime friend of uh, all of ours. Uh, he's the director and creator of Columbia, Maryland's Lakefront Film Festival. He is a regular panelist on WETA's Around Town broadcast, and he's the president of the Washington Area Film Critics Association. It's our good friend, Tim Gordon. And Tim, thanks so much for coming on these days. Lou Katz! Tim Gordon! (laughs) That's a great way to get into it. And we love to start by asking our guests, what are you watching these days? Well, before I talk about what I'm watching, I just listened to Jen talk about uh, Spike Lee's uh, American Utopia that's going to be debuting. And I wanted to say that uh, the reason why Spike has perfected the live theater experience is about 10 years ago, maybe 11 now, he did Passing Strange, which was another uh, live theater experience that I thought turned out really, 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 really well. So I'm glad to see the spike is going back and, you know, you know, expanding his horizons as it relates to filming live theater shows. So it sounds like it's very exciting. Um, I know it opened at TIFF back in September, so I've been looking forward to checking it out. So I, w- I can't wait to this weekend to see that. But you ask me, Arch, what am I watching? Mm-hmm. The big thing mm-hmm. I'm watching is uh, this Sunday is this, they call it the C season finale, but I think it's the series finale, unless I hear something different of Lovecraft Country, a show I've been watching oh. and analyzing uh, for nine weeks. And this week's episode, which is the final one of the season, is called Full Circle. Um, so it threatens to be a show that's full of fireworks. I'm hoping it's long. I'm not sure exactly if it's the standard length, but I'm hoping if it's the last of the season that they're going to extend it out some more so we can spend more time with all these characters that they've developed. Yeah. Over the so, so now, what do you think? Because uh, the comment on Lovecraft Country basically has been from me and Jen and several others that we want it to be great or that it's not as great as we want it to be. It's pretty good. Where, where, are you uh, loving it? Well, I think I think it's about perspective. I think for me, um, I'm not a huge horror fan. Jen knows that from our time sitting in theaters. But I think what this show has done a great job of is that it's a it's a horror series, but the, all the horror is not necessarily monsters because they're those. Uh, all the horror is not necessarily in the magic because there's plenty of that. But it's also in the, the, the actual racism that exists and had existed during that period. And what I love about this show so much is that they've used actual people. Like they had an episode last week that started out at Emmett Till's funeral, which I thought was very mm. powerful to recreate that and I don't think I'd ever seen that on a television show or in film before. So for me, 
and I think the people who have really gotten into it, I think it takes, you have to, it, it, it requires multiple watching, Arch. I don't think a lot of people get it the first time. You got to watch it over and over, but I think there's a lot there to digest. And I think it's much more there than an average television show would normally give us. And the structure- You think it it'll be different. better if you can binge it all at once? Because, I believe- uh, Right now that, that, we've had to wait a week at a time. Right. And I think, and it's a good point. Um, I was saying to some people that once Sunday's episode airs that we would love to go back and do a marathon where you could just watch it as you said mm -hmm. binge it mm -hmm. um, I think it would make a lot more sense because that time in between you know you're trying to figure it out but yeah I love the show I really do how are you handling the new world of of movies that uh, are not uh, in theaters it, it, it's it's taken a lot to get used to I mean back in the day as you all as, as everyone in the on the right. uh, calls as knows, we would get schedules that would say we had this on Monday, this on Tuesday, maybe two or three things on a, in a single day. So it would be easier to kind of to, to, to stay up on all the films. But now you got to figure out, okay, this movie's opening on Amazon. This was on Hulu. This was on mm -hmm. Netflix. This was on mm -hmm. HBO Max. And <laughs> without, a, without, quote unquote, a publicity house to kind of schedule all of this stuff, we have become our own publicity houses and everybody's viewing habits are a little different so I think it's harder for us to come up with uniformed film watching in the way we watched it in the past because now we're streaming stuff in so many different places and there's so many different options that are available it's just very difficult like if I ask Jen you know give me the last five films you watch I can guarantee you probably our five films wouldn't match and your five films wouldn't match so it's just we're just in a, in a very different place right now and I think we're all learning day to day how to navigate this kind of post-pandemic screening world I guess that's the Habit best way breaking. to put it you know, yeah. I, at the risk of being snarky, I would just say, welcome to the world I've been living in for the past 10 years. Because <laughs> I've been, I, I cover TV so much that right, right. I'm, I, I think I'm more accustomed to the, to what you're talking about. And in fact, I was just reading this morning, there was some estimate, like there were supposed to be over 500 shows coming out this year. And there's, I think only close to 300. I'm like, oh, <laughs> only 300. <laughs> what a Would shame. It's really a lack of material. This week Wait. or recently in the Washington Post, Alyssa Rosenberg uh, wrote a column saying it's time to face reality and cancel next year's Oscars. I she agree. says uh, the number of films that have been moved mean there's just not that many films to choose from. And let's just cancel the Oscars this year. Uh, what do you think? I, I disagree. <laughs> you, you, you said you don't agree? I don't agree at all. Oh, I agree. I think, I think I that agree. we have plenty of films that are coming out, but are we having quote unquote Oscar worthy films coming out? There are plenty of things streaming, but this is this is the world we're in. You're right. There's so many films that have been they've been pushed back. But are the films that were pushed back, would they be contenders? I don't yeah. know. I don't know. We push well, back. Jen disagrees. This I want to hear. Ahead, well, Jen. with with respect to Alyssa, who is who's very smart, she, the, the amount of pushback that column got on Twitter was swift and fierce. Oh, <laughs> from the wow. from the film critic community, or at least at least the ones that I follow, or oh. um, the ones that commented on it, because I think what we talk about as being Oscar worthy is 
I don't know. I feel like it's, it's something that we've locked into our minds about what that means. And, and a year like this, which is so unusual, provides an opportunity for some things that would never be considered for Oscars to potentially be considered. I mean, we would probably see some, some nominations for Spike Lee's movie, The Five Bloods. We'd see mm-hmm. probably Trial of Chicago 7. And those are not unusual, honestly. I think they would have been in the mix um, in any given year. But there may be some smaller films that would get attention that they wouldn't otherwise receive. And to say that, you know, we're just going to cancel them and just pretend this year didn't happen is to then say, well, you're all of that art didn't matter. The stuff that was good, not important because it, it wasn't in a theater. And I just think that's not that's not a fair distinction. And would it be interesting for a year like this one to really promote films that basically debuted on uh, Amazon Prime or Netflix? I mean, probably. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I don't know if they're going to change the rules in any way. They've been dancing around it so many yeah, years. Yeah, I know they have some of them, but is it absolutely true that like, because it it used to be you had to be in a theater for at least a week Mm -hmm. to to qualify. And did they suspend that um, rule? They they, they would have to because New York and LA has no theaters this year and they've now said that drive-ins are now eligible. And I I mean, and I think streaming (laughs) services are going to be eligible this year. So, but but this gets back to to Jen's, I I agree with what Jen said, but at the same time, when you say we're going to have a year where there are things that typically wouldn't be uh, considered by the Academy. Well, well, in that statement, that says it all right there. These are things that typically would not be considered by the Academy, but in this year, because of our situation, now they will be. So I, I'm kind of torn. I, I agree that I think that they shouldn't have an award show this year either because it's very special circumstances. But at the same time, I, I do realize that if you don't have a show, there's a lot of art that gets invalidated as, it, as you said, it it seems like it didn't exist this year because I've had a problem with the Oscars for a lot of years for a lot of reasons including the fact that too often the uh, best movie of the year according to the Oscars is not the best movie of the year and (laughs) you can go back to the days when uh, the votes were manipulated by uh, Weinstein and Shakespeare and Love uh, prevailed over uh, Saving Private Ryan, and then you can bring it all the way up to Green Book, and and so you know I've always been kind of uh, uh, torn about the Oscars, and and I I got mad at the Oscars when they moved it from Monday night to Sunday night, making it uh, specifically a TV event mm. rather than an event about movies. A TV event, even when it was on Mondays. Well, but you know, Sunday. Oh, that you know. Now Sunday, every award show you ever heard of is on Sunday night because that's the big viewing night. Right. I, uh, you know, I've I've just always been kind of kind of torn about that. I mean, here's the thing. I, I don't know if you saw the the news about Disney recently that they their, their business is like they, they decided we're mm-hmm. we're going to pivot and and our main focus is going to be on streaming, which is not yes. to say that they won't do theatrical releases anymore, mm-hmm. but that's where they see the future and. If Disney is seeing that as the future, I, I don't think it's a stretch to then say the Oscars is going to be more focused on things that weren't necessarily in theaters. And, and that's not such a hard leap to make um, in the next couple of years. And if that's the case, then there really isn't a reason to not have it this year. Because this is this present is maybe what our future is going forward. Hmm. Yeah, I read that article. That was that was interesting this morning. Hey, I watched uh, The Glorias. Did you watch The Glorias on Amazon Prime? Speaking I did. of movies. Movies. 
Please. Uh, what, what, what I, I uh, am, have always been interested in Julie Tra Tamor, who uh, created uh, The Lion King on Broadway. And uh, this, of course, is based on the uh, biography of um, Gloria, Steinem. Gloria Steinem. And we saw some of the material in the uh, Hulu series, uh, Mrs. America. And uh, I found it kind of interesting and creative, if a little bit too long. What's mm -hmm. your thought, Jen? Yeah, I, I mean, she did try to do some creative things. Made a couple of missteps, but yeah, I, I, I just felt like if you want to delve into the, especially the time period where, mm -hmm. you know, we think of associated with her in the '70s, like Mrs. America did a far better job of, of looking at that than this movie I'm afraid, did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this oh. was meant to be more of a, a, a look at Gloria Steinem's whole life, not just that one mm -hmm. um, stretch of time. But yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't think it quite worked. Uh, for Four actresses played Gloria Steinem, and at some point, the older version would talk to the younger version. That was, you know, that was kind of. I, it was an interesting try and uh, <laughs> of a an interesting piece of work that I guess is cable only. So we'll never see the uh, inside of a movie theater. Probably not. I would imagine. I mean, I think I liked the idea of having four actors play mm -hmm, her at mm -hmm, different points in her mm -hmm. life, but I, I also felt like that whole idea made it harder to really connect with the character because even though you understood it was different points in her life it still felt like it was almost four different people yeah and the other knock on it is uh, i never knew she was married and she got married and then suddenly the guy died and we don't know what happened to make her marry him and then they kind of they sort of buried the lead yeah uh, so okay i like the movie better than the two of you did so oh oh yeah yeah i mean i, I found that to be interesting and i sort of got it and understood as, as jen said that there were different times in her life. Now, the, the parts where she's talking to herself in different parts of her life, like where, where that part got a little confusing. And I agree that I thought it was You don't talk to yourself like that? You don't write I a bus do. and talk to your various songs? <laughs> do not. But, <laughs> no. but, it, but it worked in the, in the third act at the end. So I thought that part worked out quite well. My question for my younger self usually is, why did you do that? <laughs> and they did. Well, that was some of the stuff that she was asking, uh, honestly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Pretty much. I've been watching. How are you doing with Fargo? You watching Fargo, Tim? I watched the first episode of Fargo, and as a guy who never watched any of the first three seasons, I watched the first episode with interest, and then I could see uh, that it was going to go off the rails. Um, it didn't look like something that would be sustainable, and it's not something that I've thought that I need to go back and continue watching it. So the first episode was was what it was, and after they set it up, I was like, I'm good. I've seen enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm still watching it, but uh, it's it's very convoluted. In fact, the other night, I didn't have anything to watch, so I watched the original Fargo movie. <laughs> and I just want to recommend to anyone, if you want to just see something economical and interesting and that zips along with wonderful performances, the original Fargo by the Coen brothers is hard to beat. And uh, as for the series, maybe binging it will help. And I certainly like uh, Chris Rock as a, a crime king uh, trying to take over Kansas City from the Italians and a crime war, but it's a lot to digest. Mm. It's a little bit too much mm. for my, my slowed down system. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, I have a note here. Shall we discuss the use of pop culture in election events? 
Perhaps since I wrote that in the uh, in the uh, Word document. <laughs> <laughs> Where did that come from? We have this note here. Who would like to discuss that? Well, I, I don't know if you guys have been paying attention to that at all, but th there have been, obviously they can't do the kind of fundraising events that are typically done around an election, or at least one side of us can't do those kinds of events. So a, a lot of these things have been virtual. Uh, and I know that there are still like the usual big ticket things, but there have just been so many like reunions, like there was a Princess Bride reunion, right. uh, a Veep reunion, Parks and Recreation, mm -hmm. uh, and a Dazed and Confused reading um, over the weekend. Uh, oh. and, and these are all things that you just, you know, you can chip in five bucks and you get to watch it. And that money goes to, you know, the Dazed and Confused one was like Voto Latino and March for Science. A lot of them have been Wisconsin Democrats. And I don't know the answer to this question, but I just, I wonder if that is maybe more effective because it doesn't matter where you are in the country, you can, you can do it. You don't have to pay a lot of money, but there's, I mean, I know I, I did the Veep one and they raised like $500,000 at least um, from that event alone. And so I was just wondering if you guys have been paying attention to any of that or, or, or not. I have, I mean, I've seen, uh, there've been reunions of, of well, I, you, you, you have uh, a group of African-American actresses, Tracy Ellis Ross, Lena Waithe and those right. guys have been doing the Golden Girls. I think they're doing the Jeffersons. So it's the same kind of concept. And I and I think for this election cycle, it probably works a lot better if we weren't in a pandemic and people were able mm -hmm. to go out and fundraise in traditional ways. I don't think these these aspects would work. But moving forward, we don't know, Jen. Some of these things have been so successful that even after pandemic, we may go back and revisit some of these. So time will only tell. But yes, I have have paid attention that uh and you talked about the west wing earlier i think that's mm -hmm. another one that's going to be yeah, going west. on pretty soon this weekend hmm. yeah um, i mean i do i i feel like there is maybe there will be like a combination of these kinds of things where we once we can do things in person they'll still do some of those but these online things i mean i do think there's value to, to them that they're accessible to anybody the only thing i'm thinking about these days is i just wonder in this world where everything is changing if we will someday come to elect electronic voting. And if we do, I wonder if we're just going to bounce from one side to the other and just turn into a totally reactive society. Uh, we're not that so, now. Right. That's what I was about to say. We're not that now. Yeah, I agree. It's I don't know. It's hard to vote on it. I'm thinking, yeah, we're there now. But as, as it relates to electronic voting, you know, for whatever reason, we've got, we've got social media, we've got everything. Voting could easily be set up that it could be electronic that people can mm -hmm. vote from home why we don't do it i don't know uh maybe we want to hold on to the vestiges of people going to polling places and polling workers and all of that stuff but the time has come we definitely should should use the technology that is there to make lives easier for people to vote just make it easy i mean i think the reason it, it we're not there is because it's so easy to hack into those systems or, or mm -hmm. at least because I know like in Maryland, we used to, you would go in person to vote, but we would actually use a computer and they've gone, we've gone backwards because they're trying to like, you know, make it as yeah. hard as possible for, to, to protect the information. I think that's the part that we haven't figured out. Well, you know, by virtue that we, we spend money online and people are able to secure that. I don't understand. I think yeah. the money is more important than the vote in some respects. So if mm -hmm. people have enough trust in order to buy things online, there should be a way 
or a system that we can put in place that should be able to protect a vote. That's there should be. There should, should be. be. But wow. like the, the degree to which the vote is still being suppressed and, and the ways that people are being creative about doing that, I just, it's hard to think about moving forward when it's like, even in the most basic way, we still are having a hard time doing this. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Well, well, speaking of voting, we've taken a vote and now it's time to take a break <laughs> and toss this thing to Lou Katz. <laughs> Lou, you still with us? I am with you. And I, I, lo- I love the segue, Arch. Uh, you know, you can't you can't have Hound Radio and not have a feature about your four-legged friends, everyone's favorite animal, or at least dog lovers' favorite animal, dogs. And I want you to check out our latest feature this week. Hound Radio welcomes you to the weird and wacky world of dogs, a weekly look at what our canine friends are up to. As the weather starts to get cooler, how about snuggling up with a dog wool blanket? That's what some indigenous people in the Pacific North Northwest did thousands of years before Europeans arrived. New research suggests that Salish communities bred small dogs specifically for their hair, which was sheared a couple of times a year to make yarn. The idea that dogs were bred for wool was often dismissed as a local legend, but archaeological work and the discovery that Salish blankets in the Smithsonian collections are woven from dog hair has shown it to be true. The sites where bones of domestic dogs were found date to 2,500 years ago, but some sites are much older. Among the remains are artifacts from dog wool weaving, including stone spindle whorls used to make strands of hair into yarn for looms. The new study underlines the cultural importance of dogs to Northwest Native Americans until Salish wool dogs became extinct after their wool was made obsolete by the flood of textiles from Europe in the 19th century. I'm Faith Lapidus for Hound Radio. At the Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz comes to you from the secret underground bunker studios of the Katz Podcasting System. So our good friend Lou Katz, what are you watching days i'm always interested to hear what's going on in the world of cats well in the world of cats we found a semi-dog show to watch (laughs) it's nothing to do with four legs it's uh emily in paris and i think you guys you guys turned me on to that and I, i i you know in the way the world is right now as crazy as things are with the election literally just days away and the pandemic and social unrest, everything. It's nice to have a little rom-com, total take-your-mind-off-of-everything kind of series. So for that, I really enjoy it. I think the acting in the show is a little fake at times, but that's what that's what the uh, Cats household's watching. Emily oh, in Paris. Cool. A lot of people are telling me how much they love it. Are you watching Emily in Paris, uh, Tim? Tried to watch Emily in Paris. Uh, you'd be embarrassed that you know every day I find things on Hulu that I like to that I like to revisit and binge. So yesterday I started watching rewatching The Wonder Years, which oh, is a show that I love. Oh, wow. I love The Wonder Years. I love The Wonder Wonder Years wow. so much. Yeah. But the, um, the, the thing that's hard about watching it is that they changed some of the music cues because they couldn't get the rights to everything, and that drives me nuts. Mm-hmm. Like I, oh, so see, I didn't notice that. So I'm listening to it now. I think I'm into season three because I was binging it all day yesterday, and I heard some of the songs. I don't even remember the original songs from what was it, the early '90s that the Wonder Years? No, were? it started in '88. '88. Okay. Super Bowl night, 1988. Okay, so oh. yeah, so first two seasons, the '88, '89. Yeah. Oof. Wow. Yeah. Hey, I want to give a, a plug for a friend of ours. Uh, Beverly Lindsay Johnson produces documentaries in Washington, and she 
she has produced a documentary coming up on Channel 32, October 24th, on a singer named Billy Stewart. And the name of the documentary is Fat Boy, Billy Stewart's story. Before I leave this earth, I'm going to make sure everybody knows who Billy Stewart is. And it's happening now. It's the uh, story of a young singer in the late 50s and early 60s and uh, his journey. And uh, that'll be on Channel 32. October 24th at 9 o'clock. And uh, I, uh, I salute Beverly Lindsay Johnson. Don't know if you know her, Tim, but she's do. done a lot of interesting stuff. She did that show on the uh, on the Black Bandstand show that aired in uh, D.C. while back. She finds some interesting stuff. So now we come to uh, Jen Cheney's favorite moment where she gets to throw out a question to uh, challenge and probably embarrass us, which she calls flashback and favorites. So did we prepare you for this, Tim? <laughs> you did not. I don't think we did. I meant to tell you. It's not it's not too bad, except for Lou. Um because uh, why thank you. you no, because as I as I said in last week's episode, I'm I'm devoting it to horror throughout the month of October. Uh-oh. Which Lou does not like horror, so he's it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough month. Yes. Um, Three of us in that boat. <laughs> oh really? You don't either? I'm I'm not a fan, no. All right, well this will be fun. <laughs> <laughs> so last week we did um the best 80s horror movie this week. What is your favorite 90s horror movie? Oh, Candyman. <laughs> Easy. Tim didn't even have to think about it. Have you ever heard of Candyman? If you look in the mirror and you say his name five times. Candyman. 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 Well, actually, I have several, but, you know, you Candyman, Tales from the Hood. <laughs> nah, I'll stick with Candyman. All right. A 90s horror film. See, I really like the classic stuff. I like The Exorcist 70s. and uh, Rosemary's Baby. 60s. And, yeah, that's a 60s, <laughs> Exorcist 70s. Uh, the Omen 80s. 70s. I got, I, got, I got one to 80s. Uh, Let me just warn you, it's only going to move forward in time from, from this week on. So, so <laughs> right. You're 2000 is next week. And I loved Get Out. <laughs> so I got save, that. save that for two weeks from now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to find something in the middle there. Wow, let me think about it. Let's pick on Lou. You know me, I told you like last week on the podcast, I bow out of the horror movies. Well, okay, let me help you all out. <laughs> Um, yeah. I think, and Tim can argue with me if he wants to about this, because he loves to argue with me. Uh, yeah. I think, <laughs> why? Why are you shaking your head? Because <laughs> I never win. I'm not, I'll argue with, I don't argue with Jen. Go ahead, Jen. <laughs> uh, one, one of the most important, if not maybe the most important, I think was Scream. I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Oh, just some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh-huh. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. I think it revived right. the genre in the mainstream. It, it did it in a slightly different way where it was um, aware of its tropes and like funny, but also still scary. And then I think in 1999, there were two amazing movies. One, The Blair Witch Project. I don't know why you have to have every conversation on video. Because we're making a documentary. Not about us getting lost. We're making a documentary about a witch. I will never forget. Um, I was working at the Gazettes at the time and I wanted to do, I was the entertainment editor and I wanted to do a cover story on that movie and we didn't normally do entertainment cover stories on on that on film 
and I was talking to an editor and as I was talking to him, one of our graphics guys walked in. He's like, have you guys heard this story about these kids from Montgomery College who were kidnapped and no one knows what happened to them? And I'm like, dude, that's a movie. He's like, no, it isn't. I just read it on the internet. And I'm like, yeah, but that's part of it. Like it was so, people still didn't even understand how the internet worked. Yes. Um, so I love everything about that movie for that reason. And then The Sixth Sense, which is an amazing um, movie that came out right at the end of the decade. And I think is a, is a great horror movie because ultimately it's about like the real loss and and of of you know just life and death type stuff it ends up being really moving at the end i think you have a secret but you don't want to tell me i see dead people walking around like regular people i don't see anything best film oh yeah easy definitely i'm not yeah six cent and uh, you know he never the director never never really uh hit that bar again i nope. don't think no nope. he didn't he did wow. not so it ruined him that should have been his sixth film instead of his first film mm -hmm. yeah so, so those yeah. are some good choices jen i mean i i could you know i'm not i'm not the horror guy but i do remember blair witch didn't really do anything for me i think it was more of a of a marketing sensation in a movie i remember getting sick watching it going like why is all this shitty <laughs> camera work uh <laughs> But the and Blair Witch, I really like didn't that, that come out at the end of the summer? There was kind of a lag in movies, and all of a sudden, this thing came no, out. No, it came out in July. Blair Witch? Yeah. 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 And and suddenly, but particularly uh, their use of the internet, early, you know, they were mm -hmm. early adapters on that. That was that was brilliant. Yeah. I agree. So I, agree. I, I think uh, for importance, I'll go with Blair Witch. That's 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 a great pick there. And the, and the found footage horror genre, which is uh -huh. gone on since then. not that that was the first one but i think it was uh, a major one in terms of the contemporary and now we, yeah, we hope they don't too. find any more footage <laughs> right scream scream is still copied to this day i mean everybody yes. does a screamish sort of comedy horror sort of a situation so that's actually mm -hmm. that's a good choice too well let's wrap up uh what what are our best bets for the weekend trial of chicago seven. Oh, did you love it yes i did yeah that can i just can i just piggyback on tim's and just say the same thing is that allowed? Yeah, yeah. Proud <laughs> on Netflix. That's it. Tim Gordon, thanks so much for being with us. Lou Katz, thank you for hosting. Jen, it's always great. And Lewis, wrap us up. Well, you know, you guys have been talking about and plugging the Spike Lee, David Byrne, American Utopia feature this weekend on HBO. So I thought we'd wrap it up with one of the talking head songs from the 1970s. Jen, you're going to like this one. So check it out. And we'll catch you next week right here with our podcast. Thanks for listening.
This is the Cats Podcasting System.